This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly with the Internet Law Center. Um... Speaking to you live from our offices here in sunny downtown Santa Monica. Um, please be seated. We've got a great show for you today. And um, it just seems that there are certain parts of the Internet where it can be tough sledding. Um, you know, just like any um, city, there are bad neighborhoods in the Internet. And um, one bad neighborhood is if you are dealing with domain thieves. And we're going to be talking about domain theft and the domain hijacking with um, David Westlow from uh, Wiley Rain in uh, Washington, D.C. Um, he has been one of the leading fighters of helping people trying to get back their domains. Later in the show, we'll just talk about some of the latest news and development in cyber law. Um, but um, I want to just give a great shout out and uh, um, a happy um, Canada Day to all our Canadian listeners. Um, I'm sure you're having, hope you have a great day and fun celebration. And um, so, and also a shout out to the um, U.S. women's um, soccer team on their dramatic victory yesterday. And good luck in the World Cup final in Vancouver on Sunday. Um, David, are you with us? Thank you for having me today, Bennett. Thank you. We're really thrilled to have you. And uh, we, we had, we've had quite a, a, a we've been trying to schedule this for a couple of weeks, and it seems each time we, we got a confirmation there. He had to go to court or I had to go to court. And so um, luckily we were able to pull this one off. So David um, has a, a great background. And um, just want to point out, we've um, had a number of guests this year from the University of Maryland Law School. And um, some of the faculty have been on. And David actually is an alum of that fine institution, so he's continuing that trend. And he's with the firm of Wiley Rain. And uh, I actually you know, 
started my practice in Washington, D.C., just a few blocks away um, from Wiley's office. And um, it's a very respected firm, but they're famous as a communications firm. It was, it was founded by a former FCC chairman, and uh, I believe David's, uh, there are five former FCC members um, in, in the practice there. Um, is that right? I believe that's correct. That's right. So it's a great firm and glad to have you. So, David, um, you would think you know, there, if you walk in certain parts of Washington, you know, you, you have to be careful. But what, what is it about um, domains, certain certain types of domains in particular, that make them risky? You know, that's a great question. We've certainly seen domain theft um, in various forms over the last 15 years of my practice, but it does seem that in the last year to two years, there has been a, a quite an uptick in the theft of domain names. Um, it seems to be attributable to increasing value of domain names, particularly in certain parts of the world. So um, the vast majority of domain thefts appear to have some connection to China, at least recently, and I think that may correlate to the value uh, placed on certain types of domain names, numerical domain names, as well as um, short uh, two- and three-letter domain names, uh, particularly within the Chinese market. Um, the increased valuation of those types of domain names seems to have led to an increase in efforts to steal the domain names uh, from that part of the world. Yes, it seems, I mean, especially, I can understand the, the short domain names, because it doesn't matter your language. If I have a three-letter domain, it may, it may spell something in English, but it can be an abbreviation in any language. And so, I mean, I, I definitely, I've actually had, I, just for context, I, I first came across David when I had a client who um, was a victim, um, had a, a three-letter three domain that was stolen and overnight, you know, their business, um, their website shut. You know, it doesn't belong to them anymore. And their clients are calling, saying, "What's going on?" And um, you know, this was a domain that was worth six figures. Um, and so, it, it really, that so that seems to be one factor. You know, having a small domain, but it, there are new ICANN rules that require um, registrars to verify um, the identities of their of the um, registrants and which then I can't the registrars like GoDaddy are sending out emails to website owners and contacts um, asking them to verify information and so with this wave of emails going out and with GoDaddy being one of the first registrars having to comply with this it, it seems that these emails are being spoofed and used for phishing expeditions and then people are getting the passwords and um transferring the domains. Does that sound about right? It does. At least that I've certainly seen that iteration of the domain theft scam. Um, you're right. The registrars are required to send out these verification emails. So there are also um, thieves that are spoofing those emails. The, they'll look like they're coming from a legitimate registrar, but they're not. Um, they're an attempt to um, they're really social engineering trying to gain information that would then give that person access to the domain name owner's um, domain management account. Um, and those spoof emails of the who is verification are really one type of the social engineering emails that we see as 
um, thieves try to gain access to uh, the domain name management account, there may also be early renewal notices that look like they're coming from the registrar, but that's just an attempt to gain information. Uh, there may be pseudo-legal claims that suggest that or indicate that they're from a lawyer and the domain owner needs to respond, but upon their response, they'll find out it's not really a legal demand. It's just an attempt to gain personal information. So there are a number of um, different types of um, scam emails or communications that will be sent. Domain owners need to be really careful when they see any type of uh, communication like that to make sure it's from their legitimate registrar um, and be cautious in responding because any little piece of information that's provided can be used by the thief to um, start their social engineering process of gaining access to the account with the ultimate goal of transferring away or stealing the domain name. And here's the, the, the part that is, I guess, so galling uh, if, if you're a victim. So what happens is you click on one of these emails and you provide um, whatever information, your login information or some information sufficient for them to actually log into your account. And so since they are accessing the account using your information, the trans and then they transfer the domain to a Chinese registrar or some other registrar. The transfer appears to be voluntarily, and GoDaddy then will say, "Well, we're powerless to do anything about it because it was a voluntary transfer." Yeah, that, that's right. And in certain circumstances, the thieves are sophisticated enough that they engage in a two-step transfer process for the purpose of eliminating any notice to you as the domain name owner. So certain registrars only have the policy of sending you a notification that your domain name has been transferred if the transfer is, is taking the domain name from that registrar to another registrar. So if the registrar has that policy, what I've seen is the thief will first transfer the domain name from the legitimate owner's account into a second unaffiliated account, but still with that registrar. And that mm -hmm. second account is owned by the thief, and then they'll engage in a second transfer from their own account with the registrar to a registrar in China. Um, and it's Triggering that, the notification, but only to the thief. Right. That's exactly wow. right. The frustrating thing, but so, is how do you, how do you get it back? Yeah, there seems to be a, a, a steep increase. There's a ICANN reports receiving more than 140 complaints in, about domain thefts in the last 20 months, and then um, there have been about 15 cases filed um, in the last year, um, which is a dramatic increase from just two years ago when it was only 10 um, or 5 in 2013. And so what what's triggering all this, do you believe? You know, I think it's it's, um, one instance of computer theft. Um, we're seeing across the board, um, in, obviously, if you listen to the news on any given day, there are instances of computer hacking and theft of intellectual property that uh, go on every, every day, whether related to credit card information or personal information or your employment information. And this really is just another form of computer hacking and theft. And I think it's it's part of an increase across the board in Internet-related crimes, 
and computer hacking. Um, it, the increase in domain theft, I think, is attributable to increasing values of domain names, uh, particularly for in certain parts of the world where um, short uh, number, two and three number domain names and short letter combination domain names are um, being given a very high value and are being sold at um, significant sums, I think that's motivating the thieves uh, to really step up their efforts in trying to steal these domain names very often from um, American individuals or European individuals or businesses um, who have owned the domain names for a long time um, seem to very often be the victims. If you've ever watched Bugs Bunny and Roadrunner and you see the Wiley Coyote always being flummoxed in its efforts to get the Roadrunner, there's always some Acme something, an Acme umbrella, Acme bombs, whatever uh, he's trying to use. And uh, you had a case involving um, Acme, um, was it Acme Billing? That's right. Where you filed a very a kind of a groundbreaking case on their behalf, where um, you yeah. actually were trying to get the domain back in federal court. Tell us about that. Sure. Well, we filed the case last October um, following um, a few dozen domain names being stolen from their owner, the Acne Billing Company, which is an e-commerce company based in Florida. Um, there, the domain names were stolen in the manner that we just discussed where they were first transferred from one account with GoDaddy to another account with GoDaddy um, because it was a... As you said, yeah. Is it that GoDaddy's policy then to only notify you if you transfer right. it to... Okay. That's right. So then once they were then transferred out of the second account to the Chinese registrar eName, um, that triggered the notification, but the notification then goes to the thief as the owner of the second account. Um, my client learned of the unauthorized transfer and reached out to the registrar right away. Um, the registrar was able to recover through negotiations with the gaming registrar in China a number of the stolen domain names, but 14 of those domain names um, were not able to be recovered by the registrar. Uh, my understanding is that it, it, the Chinese registrar was not cooperative in, in returning those 14 names. So that left uh, my client with no choice but to file a uh, federal lawsuit. Um, we asserted claims under the Federal Anti-Cybersquad and Consumer Protection Act, as well as the Federal Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. About a month ago, the case was concluded with a court-ordered return of the domain names, and they have now all the all fourteen have been returned uh, to their rightful owner. And were you were you suing in an in in rem basis? Is that is that how you're able to get control get the domains transferred? That's right. So there, the the two laws we invoked. The first was the Anti Cyber Squatting Consumer Protection Act. Now that's a federal law that allows for a lawsuit to be filed against a domain name as a piece of property um, in the location of the domain registry or registrar or other domain authority. Now, here, because these domain names were all .com and .net domain names, 
the registry is based in Northern Virginia, just outside of Washington. And so there is jurisdiction for an in-rem action against those domain names as a piece of property in the United States District Court for the Eastern District of Virginia. Uh, because VeriSign has been located here um, for so long, uh, the vast majority of in-rem cyber-squatting cases have been handled in that court. Um, so that was the first element of this lawsuit, the claim in-rem under the Anti-Cyber-Squatting Consumer Protection Act. And we also included a claim again under, under the uh, Computer Fraud and Abuse Act um, for the unauthorized access to a protected computer and the unauthorized changing of the computer records um, here, the domain name uh, management account and the unauthorized changing of the domain name settings to transfer the domain names away from the, our client to the thief based in China. Now, that was um, not a property action, but a um, in personam or personal action against John Doe, whomever, whomever he or she was, the person based in China that uh, stole the domain names. We're going to go from in rem to in commercial. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk to more about um, domain theft and how David's been successful in getting back domains after these messages. You're listening to Cyberlaw Business Report only on webmasterradio.fm. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Reinventing keyword research, simplifying campaign optimization, redefining competitive analysis. SpyFu brings you an entirely new way to find the most profitable keywords for your SEO and PPC campaigns. New tools, new data, and a brand new look. We've streamlined SpyFu so that you can optimize your search engine marketing more efficiently, more accurately, and more intuitively. Visit SpyFu.com, that's S-P-Y-F-U.com, and start downloading your competitors' keywords now. Try it free. When you started your business, you first listened to your professors. Now that your business is growing and gaining ground, you only seek out professionals. PPC Professionals, an industry leader for highly optimized search marketing campaigns with over 30 years of combined management experience. Our professional approach to every campaign helps you find every avenue of revenue so that you can not only stay ahead of your competitors, but get a return on your investment and increase your bottom line. PPC Professionals, personal, professional, PPC services. PPCProfessionals.com. Whether you are an online business or domain name investor, you need access to the best names. With over 270 million domains already registered, finding the right names at the best price requires a great wingman. Namejet.com puts you in the pilot seat by giving you fast and unparalleled access to some of the best premium and expired domain names on earth. As the number one domain name auction platform, Namejet.com is the best place to find domains for your business or investment. So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to Namejet.com at box speed to get great domains today. Namejet.com. Creating a website is not an easy task, and there are so many companies to choose from. How do I know which one is best? It's a big jump making your site mobile-friendly, generating sales, and answering questions with no struggles. If you want to come out on top, you need Frog on Top. At Frog on Top, we take the time to make your site generate money, not just look good. 
our team of experts are WordPress savvy, and our customer service is leaps ahead. See why we say our websites are designed better by leaps and bounds by going to frogontop.com. Frog on Top, your one-stop solution for the web. Frogontop.com. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. Thank you. This is Ben and Kelly. We're back and talking to David Weslow about domain theft. And for listeners, um, you can check on our blog at cyberlawradio.wordpress.com for information on today's show, including David's background, where you can find out that he was named one of DC's rising stars for intellectual property litigation. So check it out. And again, you can always follow us on Twitter at um, CyberLawRadio. So David, before the break, we were talking about um, filing an in-rem actions under both um, the anti-cyber squatting law and the um, Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. And so, um, and you you sue John Doe, which is a, a common procedure um, when you don't know the names of the the people you're suing. What what response, if any, did you have from the um, the thieves? In this case, there was no response. Part of the procedure uh, under the Anti Cyber Squatting Consumer Protection Act is that notice must be given to the um, email address of record in the domain name registrations. So here, for the 14 domain names at issue, um, they were ultimately transferred, as I mentioned, to a registrar account in China. And throughout the course of the litigation, we gave notice to those email addresses repeatedly. So uh, as you know, Bennett, in a traditional lawsuit, you provide service on your opposing counsel or the opposing party. Here, every document we filed with the court was sent through email and FedEx to China, So I I recall probably 8 to 12 filings that were all sent um, to those email addresses. Uh, We never received a response. Um, That's not unusual in a case like this. And without a response uh, from the current owners of the domain uh, domain names, the case went to default. Um, The court granted our motion for default judgment and issued a judgment order tra- returning the domain names to our client. Now, in this case, the court found that it could give us the relief that we were seeking, which was the return of the domain names, under the Anti-Cyber Squatting Consumer Protection Act, and therefore the court uh, didn't need to reach uh, the issue of whether or not there was also a violation of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. We think there clearly was, but it's not unusual for a court to decide that um, they don't need to address multiple claims right. uh, in lawsuits. Chris is giving it back to you. Now, um, there's one of, one of the benefit to um, litigating in the Eastern District, and it's not just because it's, it's a short ride from your office, but the Eastern District of Virginia the, is known as the Rocket Docket. Can you explain that? Certainly. So this court does move very quickly. Um, as I mentioned um because of the location of verisign.com and .net in, in, within the boundaries of this court's jurisdiction, as well as the public interest registry, which is .org, and Newstar, which is .us and .biz, um, the court has handled the vast majority, I would probably say 80, if not 90% of in-rem domain name cases over the last 15 years. So the court 
has significant experience with domain name cases, and it does move very quickly. Um, in this case, from filing to the court-ordered return of the domain names was about four and a half months, and that's wow. actually a, a little bit slower than we expected. Um, we, were slowed <laughs> down, we were slowed down a little bit by our magistrate judge retiring in the middle of the, of the case. Um, other domain name cases I've handled in this court have gone from filing to default judgment in just over two months. So it does move quickly. And there was just, you know, because as a litigant, you know, and you know, one of the frustrating things for clients in any court other than the rocket docker is that, you know, the glacial speed of litigation. And so here you have a, you know, a process, you know, in REM where you can sue the property and you can get it done relatively quick. In fact, about two to th- three times as long as a UDRP proceeding. That, that's right. We've, Which is pretty quick. It, it is pretty quick. And I've actually had cases in this court, um, as you know, sometimes the UDRP timing can be slowed down depending on who you filed with by vacations and things like that. Sure. Um, where a UDRP ruling might extend out to 70 days, 75 days from filing. And that actually is, is about the fastest we've ha- handled an ACPA or cyber squatting case in the rocket docket. So if you've got a slow UDRP and a fast ACPA case, it might actually be about the same timing. Now, do you do this in conjunction with it? Do you, do you try UDRP first or, or the, the parallel proceeding for registrar challenges? You know, it really, it really depends on the case. So the UDRP or Uniform Domain Name Dispute Resolution Policy um, is a mandatory procedure that applies to all um, second-level domains. Uh, it depends on the case as to whether or not the UDRP can be invoked as a, as a mechanism to obtain a transfer order for a stolen domain. The UDRP was created to address cyber squatting, which is a form of trademark misuse. Now, a domain theft might qualify for the UDRP if, for example, the domain is stolen and then used in some manner that, that um, establishes the UDRP's requirement of bad faith. Mm-hmm. And there have, I'm aware of one or two decisions under the UDRP, particularly from the Asian Domain Name Dispute Resolution Service, um, allowing for uh, a return of a stolen domain name under the UDRP. Um, there also have been some cases that state that domain theft is outside of the scope of the UDRP. Right. It's similar to a contractual dispute or a tort claim or things that are not the classic case that is covered by the UDRP. So it really depends on on the situation whether or not the UDRP is a viable option. If it is a viable option, certainly it's going to be less expensive than a court action, um, but I I wouldn't want to file a UDRP case and, and... where there's not a great chance of success and having wasted the time and money of, of pursuing. Right. So, um, in your case, they, they, uh, the defendants, you know, John Doe, the, the baddest person in, in, in the court system, um, did not respond at all. And do you think the calculus for them was to actually engage in the court and be discovered who they are and what they're up to would actually expose them to greater liability than actually just losing these domains? I think that's right. So part of it is 
uh, we were aware that whomever it was was based in in China. Um, okay. They would need they would need to appear in United States federal court. Um, if they were to appear, they'd be subject to discovery. Um, they'd be subject to um, our efforts to obtain additional information about them. Um, certainly, if we were able to learn through discovery or otherwise in the court proceeding who they really were, we would pursue more than just a return of the domain name. We would pursue damages, a turn recovery of attorney's fees, and things like that. Um, so I think that's part of the calculus um, for a thief as to whether or not to defend. Um, and it's also part of, as, as the plaintiff or party bringing the claim, it's also part of our calculus in terms of what additional claims to assert. So under the NM cyber squatting claim, the court is only authorized to issue an order returning the domain name. Right. Um, that's all you can get when you sue the domain name as a piece of property. However, under the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act or other potential claims, there are other remedies. Um, there are damages. There are attorney's fees and things like that available. So part of my strategy in bringing these cases is to make sure that if someone does appear and defend and seek to justify how they came into possession of the domain name, um, we would then rely more on the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act claim or other claims and pursue recovery of monetary damages, attorney's fees, and other remedies. Right, so they have skin in the game. So if they, if they do want to fight it, they have to recognize that um, they could have damages and be exposed. And the, and the other important thing to remember is that you know the um, law enforcement and regulators routinely uh, review um, filings for new complaints. And, you know, I've had cases where a client was, um, a counterclaim was filed against a client alleging, you know, certain kinds of Medicare fraud. And um, all of a sudden, we, we, we get a call from the Department of uh, you know, Health and Human Services wanting to talk to us. And, uh, and so that's just... The law enforcement monitors these filings, and so they have to recognize that if they're going to appear in court, um, you know, the, the, this the Justice Department or someone may may already have their eye on the case, and um, they could be exposed to greater liability, not just civil. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And in all of these cases, underlying our civil claims, there is a, a criminal computer hacking that is what resulted in the theft of the domain name. So there's absolutely the potential for uh, law enforcement to become interested if someone were to appear and identify themselves as the as a participant in the, the domain name theft. Now the the the, es- the sign one sign that this problem has been escalating is that um, Domain Gang, the uh, uh, an, an online publication that mon- covers and reports on um, domain name news and domain theft actually uh, declared a national punch a domain thief name, uh, which I, I think was somewhat facetious. But did, do you know of anyone actually being punched? Oh, I don't know that any of us have identified a, an actual person to punch. Um, the best we can do as, as lawyers is to go after that uh, Joe as aggressively as we can. But Domain Gang it, it is a great site for for following what's happening with domain theft. They've been doing a a really nice job publicizing um, the increase in domain name theft, publicizing uh, court rulings, uh, returning domain names, and and really trying to draw attention to the problem, which which is growing and is is significant. 
Now, you just saw another John Doe complaint in federal court just two days ago and for a Watson versus John Doe. How, how many of these have you now filed? Uh, this is the second filed in federal court specifically dealing with domain theft. I've worked with clients in other situations where we have had more success convincing the registrar to take steps to um, uh, have the domain names returned. And the registrar does have the ability to do that. Um, There's an ICANN policy, uh, the registrar transfer dispute resolution policy, uh, that gives the registrar some ability to claw back domain names that have been transferred without authorization. Um, I have had success for other clients in working with registrars to have domain names returned. Um, in other cases, that, that doesn't happen, whether um, it's because the registrar, it may be because the registrar is not willing to do that, or it may be uh, because the registrar uh, feels that they've done all they can do and that the gaming registrar is not cooperating and, and therefore they can't claw back the domain name. Now, what if a client calls you and says, David, I, uh, I really appreciate, I'm really a big fan of everything you've done in, in court. But I'd rather stay a fan. How, how, can I, how can I avoid having to call you to file a lawsuit, a John Doe case? Right. Um, I would say the first, as with any account online, whether for your bank or a social media account, it's, it's very important to make sure the password is secure. It should be a compl- complicated password, and it should be secure. Um, you can go a long way to preventing domain name theft by making sure that your password on your domain name management account is, is complicated and is secure. Um, the second suggestion I would have is to be, as you pointed out initially, Bennett, to be very cautious when you receive those emails that look like they're from your registrar asking for information. They may be attempts to um, uh, obtain your information that, that could then be used for social engineering purposes to gain access to your account. Um, I would also suggest um, consider um, whether or not um, to implement multi-factor authentication for your account. Um, I know a lot of domain name registrars offer multi-factor authentication so that changes cannot be made to your account. Domain names cannot be transferred unless there are multiple points of authentication guaranteeing that you as the owner really are asking for that transfer. Now, and that's, some I think that's critical. Yeah, and so I would say some registrars charge extra, others don't. So I would in- recommend investigating your options and look for registrars that do not add a additional charge for multi-factor authentication. Even if they do charge, I mean, you, you, there are a lot of reasons why you would choose a domain, but even if they do charge... We're talking. If you have a domain that's worth six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars, you know, I, I think the five the five dollar charge or whatever it is might might be a good investment. Absolutely, that's absolutely right. And so, what about ICANN? I, I know there's some pressure to you know, get ICANN to do something about it, but what is it that they would do? My view is that right now there's the registrar transfer dispute resolution policy that I mentioned that allows a a losing registrar to work with the gaining registrar to try to have the domain names returned. There's also an actual formal procedure that that registrar can invoke, um, not unlike the UDRP, but at the registrar level where they can um, invoke this policy and seek a determination that the domain name should be returned to the losing registrar. 
Um, however, it, in my um, experience, it's exceedingly rare for a registrar to actually go that step. They have the ability to do it, but they typically don't, presumably for cost, cost reasons. Right. They have, they, don't, they have no skin in the game. That's right. So the question is, why doesn't that policy provide a domain name owner with standing or the ability exactly. to invoke that procedure? And I think that that's something that ICANN should consider. Um, it's, it's, you know, you can um, understand why a registrar uh, might not invoke it. Um, as you said, they don't have skin in the game. Um, I would advocate that they, they should, as a matter of customer service, pursue that next step anyway, but they often don't. So I think it's, it would be a good idea for ICANN to consider modifying that policy so that a registrant has that option, like the UDRP. They can invoke that administrative procedure seeking the return of the domain name, in which case they wouldn't be forced to go to court, which in all likelihood would be more expensive. And um, so your clients, when they call you, um, they – They've lost their domain. I mean, that that is very disruptive to their business. I mean, it's all of a sudden, you know, it, your business just stops if you're operating on that's the, your principal domain. And so, what type of losses are, are you seeing um, at the at the client level? Yeah, that, that's right. So as soon as the domain name is transferred, the thief has the ability to change the name servers, which will render the site non-functional. They can change whatever technical settings they want. And right, that, that disables the use of the domain name, which can be devastating to the business. Um, I, I receive calls along those lines pretty regularly. Um, the, the decision, the owner of the domain name becomes, you know, is it worth the investment um, in pursuing the court action and the time, even if we move as quickly as we can and that time is two months, is it worth that investment and time delay in obtaining the return of the domain name, or do they cut their losses and decide to switch over to something else? Right, and that, that's because you, know, you think about it. You're, you're talking about a sudden loss of revenue, and then the need to do your big outlay of money at the same time. That's right, and you know certainly as with any civil action. There's the ability to go to the court and ask for emergency relief, including a temporary restraining order and or preliminary injunction that would return the domain name and or change the um, name server settings to render the domain name usable and functional, again, by the true owner. Um, and this court will entertain uh, those types of motions, uh, but to take that step um, requires a lot of a lot of time and a lot of work to establish for the court that that emergency relief is necessary. Um, now, if it's if it's a domain name used for an e-commerce site and the site is down because of the domain name theft, it may be appropriate to take that step. In terms of that loss, is that insurable? Would this be property damage, or you know, is is there's there ability for domain name holders to, to protect themselves? Yeah, I would, I would think that it could be covered by a um, cyber insurance policy, which mm -hmm. we hear a lot um, increasingly these days with, yes. with computer hacking. Um, that Fundamentally, that's um, what this is. It's a computer hacking and a theft of intellectual property. So a cyber insurance policy 
might be applicable. There might also be an intellectual property infringement clause in an insurance policy because the theft of the domain name um, is a misuse of the company's intellectual property. So that might be applicable as well. It would be, be interesting to see if that gets more prevalent because that once that once the insur- insurer has to pay out, you know, they're subrogated. They may, you know, they they have resources. They may want to go after the people, and so it may actually lead to um, the increasing use of those policies. May actually lead to more litigation because now you have someone who has the money and the in, you know the interest to um, fight. That's true. Yeah. Where do you see this going? Is it is this going to continue to expand just because we're talking a lot of money on the, the table? Do you, do you actually think these type of suits are getting um, their attention and realizing this is a very risky business? It seems to me there's a high likelihood of, it, of in increasing, at least in the short term. The value of domain names, particularly on Chinese marketplaces where domain names are, are frequently sold and short number and letter domain names are frequently sold for uh, significant sums, I think that's leading to a lot of this. Um, and the fact that a lot of domain name owners don't have multi-factor authentication and that registrars, are, in my mind, are not um, publicizing the importance of multi-factor authentication as, as much as they could be, I think means it's, it's likely that this is going to increase. Now, I am hopeful that beyond short-term, registrars will, will make it more well-known that their customers should use multi-factor authentication and that customers should be very careful um, with any emails that they receive that may be phishing or social engineering emails. And I think there's the prospect of, of stemming the tide um, beyond the short term. Uh, I would hope that, you know, ICANN does take a look at the registrar transfer dispute resolution policy. I don't see any reason why a registrant should not be allowed to invoke that policy and have some mechanism short of going to court um, to obtain the return of a stolen domain name. Um, however, with all things ICANN, you know, that could take quite a long time. Right. So I, and, I, I would think and, that re- registrars have the best ability to to address this problem shorter rather than later. And then, if you, you know, to the extent that there are registrars that are, are turning a blind eye to this, you know, if there is actually some administrative consequence, like them actually losing their license, all of a sudden that creates a huge chill. Um, for those in, in that space uh, who want to engage in these you know, shenanigans. That's a great point. And, I, and there are um, one or two registrars that are frequently involved. They're frequently the receiving registrars in China. And I would think that that's something that could be subject of a compliance complaint with ICANN. Um, ICANN has a staff that monitors registrar accreditation, um, the compliance under the registrar accreditation agreement. And the fact that a one or two registrars are always the gaining registrars in cases of domain name theft, mm-hmm. and that they are not cooperative with losing registrars and returning the domain names, seems something seems like something that that should be the subject of ICANN compliance. Now we only have a few minutes left. If people want to learn more about you, your practice, and your firm and any up, any upcoming events you may have, um, where should they go? At davidwestlow.com. We'll redirect to my 
uh, bio page on my firm, WileyRyan.com. That's D-A-V-I-D-W-E-S-L-O-W.com. And it's also your Twitter handle. And do you have any events? You know, any, are you speaking anywhere soon that you want to let people know about? I had to pause and think for a second. I'll, uh, I don't have anything on the agenda for the, for the summer. I'll be taking a break from speaking. I'm sure I'll have some things in the fall. Well, it's, uh, you get the nice uh, eastern shore beaches to go to, so definitely enjoy those. But I want to thank you very much. And if you do have something you want us to announce to, to people, let us know. We're happy to do so. Uh, but definitely check David out at David Weslow on Twitter. And um, I want to thank you again. And you guys, you've done uh, a great job in, in trying to address this problem. And, um, you know, I, I just know, you know from talking to my own clients what, what, what a devastating impact this can be. And so um, thank you for your, for your leadership in this fight, and um, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Bennett, and I appreciate you calling attention to this issue as well. Thank you. So we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll do a wrap on updates on the news and other things around the web after these messages. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Finding links to improve your rankings in the search engines is time-consuming and frustrating for many of us. The Hoth is the go-to company to help lighten your link-building load. Their white-label SEO was made specifically for agencies, in-house SEOs, and affiliates. The Hoth also offers high-quality custom local citation building to improve search rankings in Google's Maps and localized results, providing fulfillment for some of the largest SEO companies in the world. The Hoth offers link and citation building services you can trust. Get $20 in link building or citation building credits free by going to thehoth.com slash radio. T-H-E-H-O-T-H dot com slash radio. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, seen other SEO experts, but did you know they can help you with PBC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And we're back. I want to thank David again. It was great talking to him. And Wally um, Ryan's done it's a great firm, and they've done some good work on this. And uh, I was actually going to work on a case with him on um in um, the Eastern District um, to, to go after a domain theft, and um, that still may happen. The client just hasn't decided. But um, we do have some news updates for you, and uh, one is, if you may recall last week, 
um, we were talking with Amy Wilkinson on the Creators Code and her in her discussion with um, leading entrepreneurs or amazing entrepreneurs, as she said. And one of them was Elon Musk, and she talked about how, um, despite his success, he, he still even with such huge success as they've had, um, you still have some fear of failure. And unfortunately, Sunday was Elon Musk's birthday, and um, this, this latest SpaceX rocket um, that was going to reach the space station uh, actually exploded after takeoff. So a very disappointing um, birthday for Elon and um, highlighting the point that uh, you still fear, fear failure. Um, also updates lawsuit between three taps and Craigslist over um, e- three taps um, scraping um, the Craigslist site and, and using the information on their in their own work um, has settled with a um, one million dollar dollar settlement payable to the Electronic Frontier Foundation as a charitable donation. So interesting um, development and um, congratulations to EFF um, being the winner in a lawsuit they weren't even a party to. But uh, it's definitely a worthy organization. And if you ever seen the, the very humorous Dollar Shave Club commercials, um, where they, one of them, which they talk about their uh, razors being effing great, um, while the, uh, the National Advertising Division of the Better Business Bureau, who, who ha- we've had um, Al Martini on, on our show, and even our producer is a Dollar Shave Club subscriber, um, they actually upheld... These claiming that the races were effing great because they said that was not a verifiable claim. That was mere puffery. It'd be kind of interesting. How would you prove something is effing great? But so um, effing congratulations to Dollar Shave Club on that. And um, another congratulation goes to the people at Silicon Beach Fest. Uh, they were good to uh, give us credentials for the event. And we were able to talk to a number of people who may have later on the show. But it was a great success. Once again, congratulations to Kevin Winston. And uh, also congratulations to Mark Marin um, becoming the first podcaster to actually interview the president. And the president, um, Barack Obama, came to his garage where he does his podcast in Pasadena. And uh, they had an interesting discussion. Marin has um, a podcast called WTF. And I think you all know what that stands for. And um, so it, it has received 1.7 million downloads since uh that's being posted a week ago. Um, so congratulations. And um, a couple other acknowledgements. As I mentioned, happy Canada Day. Um, and to big the week last week with some major um, kind of Teutonic shifts in um, landscapes in terms of the, the ruling and gay marriage and you know, just a, the total evaporation of support for the Confederate flag uh, being flown on state grounds. It, someone commented on the fact that these things that usually happen um, over generations and now are happening in just you know short compressed periods periods of time, and that this this is happening in in accelerated form. I think because of the internet age, we are connected, we are sharing information faster, and we are consuming information faster. And um, so this was the amazing uh, results of last week, um, the huge outpouring of, of joy, I think, you know, in the gay and straight community over the Supreme Court decision and the, the total evisceration of any support for the um, Confederate flag are definitely part of being in a connected age. And uh, I'd like to point out one thing, as you know, I'm fond of pointing out today in history. And today in history, in 1987, 
Um, President Reagan nominated Robert Bork to be a Supreme Court justice to fill the vacancy being created by the retirement of Lewis Powell, who was a, a kind of centrist and a swing, uh, a common swing vote on the court. And within 45 minutes of the nomination, Senator Ted Kennedy took to the floor of the um, Senate to immediately blast Bork um, with his famous speech, Robert Bork's America, um, just totally ripping Bork for his views on civil rights and other matters, um, and ultimately set the tone for a very contentious debate. The vote ended up being 58-42 against Bork, and um, as a result, um, Another nominee came up. It was discovered that he uh, he was a heavy pot user. He had to withdraw, and uh, and so in Bork's place was Justice Anthony Kennedy, who was confirmed and then played the same swing role um, vote as um, his predecessor Lewis Powell, and actually wrote the decision in the um, gay marriage case over Grafell and versus Hodges. Any event, it is a just bringing it full circle, um, you know, without that defeat of Bork, uh, would you have had that ruling? Although Bork did die a couple of years ago, so Obama may have had the ability to nominate um, someone for that seat. But just to, bringing it full circle, um, I want to wish everyone a happy and safe Fourth of July weekend. And uh, um, it seems that people are already starting to transition to that. So um, be, join us next week. We're going to be talking about. Um, a new report by our good friends at the um, Future Privacy Forum on privacy and the sharing economy. And Joe Jerome is going to come back to us. So, again, check out our blog for information on this and other shows. Um, and it's just at cyberlawradio.wordpress.com. Download our mobile app. Listen to us anywhere. Um, check us out on, on Twitter. Give us your feedback. And then if you listen to us in, in any podcast environment, um, you know, tell us what you think. Give us stars. Tell us tell us what you like and tell us if you have any ideas for shows. We're happy to address what you want. But again, this is Bennett Kelly saying um, happy 4th of July and go USA. Um, good luck in the World Cup on final on Sunday. And we will be back here over the next Wednesday, another edition of Cyberlaw Business Report. This is Bennett Kelly, the Internet Law Center. Check out our website, internetlawcenter.net, and we can tell you more about the legal services we provide, uh, which include addressing domain theft. So uh, until then, uh, we'll be back here next week, right here on Cyberlaw Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. Courts adjourned. Bye-bye. This is a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, 
which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.